0: Do you ever feel like this is a mad world we live in? And it's hard to live in a world gone mad. The culture has shifted and been redefined by this world. What used to be bad is now accepted, even good. What used to be good is now narrow-minded and intolerant. Meanwhile, the world continues in its rejection of the true God. They want God out of school and work and government and workplace and so forth. People still worship, though, only they're given over to the worship of idols, namely money, image, self. Love of self has eclipsed everything else in this culture, and so that has led to a sexual revolution where everything is accepted in the name of love. Marriage has changed. It's come with fallout, divorce, STDs, abortion, disintegration of the family unit. Everything's skyrocketing. Overall, there's a growing sense of depravity, And man's depravities are showing up in the arts, the entertainment, the culture. People have a thirst for blood. They want to see more violence, more bloodshed, more wickedness. They root for it. They cheer for it. They watch it. And anyone who doesn't go along with this new value system is maligned. Along these lines, there's a growing intolerance of the church. Christians who stand up for the truth get hammered down, especially those who voice their opposition to the culture. This is a mad world, and it's hard to live in a, mad world I bet you probably feel that way but here's the catch I wasn't describing our world I just described to you the ancient Roman world Everything I just said I was speaking about ancient Rome All of that was true in Rome their sexual morality their social decay their thirst for blood especially their persecution of Christians So why do I bring this up Well, for a couple of reasons. For one, so that you know there's literally nothing new under the sun. Nothing's changed. It's important to realize this world has always been mad. It's never been good since the fall. It will not be good until Christ returns. Now, sure, things are getting relatively worse in America, but you need to put things into perspective. We're merely reliving ancient Roman culture. In fact, they were even more depraved. But this means if you think it's hard to live in our world gone mad... Well, at least now you have a taste of what it was like for the first Christians. Because remember, Christianity was birthed in that culture, that ancient Roman culture. But this also means, therefore, the entire New Testament was written to young believers regarding how to live in such a culture. Now, Scripture is always timeless and profitable, but as our world becomes more like their world, how much more directly applicable does Scripture become? So you see the connection. So much of scripture was written to guide and instruct young Christians on how to live in a world gone mad. And so it is for us today. Now I want to get even more specific with this train of thought. Is it hard to live in a world gone mad? Yes, for followers of Christ. But you know what's even harder than living in a mad world? Raising kids in a mad world. I want you to think about that. What a challenge to be a faithful, godly parent and a world gone mad. It's hard enough to stand for the truth on your own. It's much harder for your kids to do that. And you want to lead them there, but they're facing a tidal wave of opposition that many of our many of them are just not prepared to handle. Additionally, for parents to raise their children in the faith, it, it's almost a death sentence. If you commit to raising your children in the fear of the Lord, including God's ways, God's morals, aren't you setting them up for a life of, persecution and opposition and affliction in this culture. Yeah. I mean the faith opposes the culture so they're they're going to have a hard time when they get older. But even though this is scary, you don't want to just hand your children over to the world. Let the world raise your kids that they'll turn out like the world. That's a fate even worse than persecution, so you don't want to do that. Of course, this is a decision our children will ultimately have to make for themselves as they get older whether to follow Christ or not. But as parents, you're still tasked with guiding them, leading them in a certain direction. This isn't easy. It's hard to raise kids in a mad world. But here again, we can find strength and encouragement from the first Christians who answered that call at an even greater cost. In the first century, to raise your children in the faith like Timothy's mother and grandmother, that meant they might one day literally die for that faith. And talk about a test of faith. But they still answer that call and raise their children in the way of the Lord. But God did not leave them without help. God gave them his word. And like I said, so much of it instructs us on how to live and how to parent in a mad world. God's word is so rich and powerful. It has everything you need to equip you and strengthen you and encourage you to rise to the task at hand, both to live and to parent in such a world. And given where our culture is at, what the Bible says about parenting, it's all the more relevant to you today. And so this morning, I want to bring God's word to bear on how to parent in a world gone mad. Yes, if you haven't figured it out by now, we're taking a one-week break from the Gospel of Mark. We'll get back to that next week. But today is Mother's Day, as you know, and although it's not a biblical holiday per se, I still like to take just about every chance I get, every excuse I get to try and preach on biblical parenting because it's so needed. This world is going crazy, and although we can't stop that, we can still say, like Joshua, well, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Christian mothers need strength, encouragement, exhortation, and instruction to do this, to hold up the standard, to parent God's ways, not just for mothers, for fathers too. They need all the encouragement they can get as leaders of their family to take the lead in raising their children in the fear of the Lord. And grandparents, this is for you too. As you watch your kids, you have influence over your grown children and your grandchildren. And it's not too late for you to become experts in biblical parenting. And for the singles, for the young couples without kids, if you're ever going to have kids, if you ever interact with kids, it's time for you to now become an expert in what the Bible says about parenting. So that's what we're going to do for today. We're not going to try and cover everything about what the Bible says about parenting in one sermon. But I want this to serve like a a booster shot. A lot of this you've heard before. You know this. But every now and then you need that booster shot giving you a fresh dose of what you already have, what you already know, to reignite your resolve and your commitment to raise up your children in the way they should go. And it's never too late. This is to encourage you. That's never too late to jump on the bandwagon of what God says and to just make your effort to be faithful, to do what, what God says. And he's pleased. And what more do you want? So our goal this morning, it's pretty simple. I want to give you a refresher on the biblical principles of parenting, especially in a world gone mad. Simply a refresher on the biblical principles, the top biblical principles of parenting, which are especially relevant in a world gone mad. And to get started, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Before we get a refresher on biblical parenting, I want to first give you a refresher on biblical childhood. In other words, before we talk about what God expects of you parents and grandparents, we need to be reminded what God expects of your children. This is something a lot of people skip over in a discussion on parenting, but you can't do that. And we'll see why. You first have to be crystal clear on what God expects of your children. So let's be reminded. Ephesians 6, look at verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Here, Paul is merely relating God's ancient will for children, which is reflected in the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which he quotes in verse two. These are pretty basic instructions. They're simple enough for a child to understand. If they just honor and obey their parents, it will go well with them. It'll go well for them. So that's all they have to worry about. This word for honor is a financial term. It was used for setting a price on something, assessing the value of something, so to honor something or someone means to highly value them, to greatly esteem them. Jesus used this word in regards to the high value he placed on his father in heaven, whom he honored. And likewise, children are called to esteem, to respect, to honor their parents. Part and parcel with honoring their parents, God calls children to obey their parents. This word for obey comes from the root word for listen, akua. But it's the intensified form, hupakua, which means to listen intently, i.e. to obey, to submit to, to be subject to. So understand, God has delegated some of his supreme authority to the parents such that their children are called to listen to them in all things. That's what a parallel verse says, Colossians 3.20. It says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, of course, we know that's not including sin. That's a given. Parents cannot command their children to sin. But otherwise, God has made them the absolute authority over their children's lives until they reach adulthood. It's for that reason when children disobey their parents, they are disobeying God's will for their lives. And that's the definition of sin. Also, keep in mind, both these commands, they go together. They cannot be separated. Honor, honor. And obedience. It's not either or. You don't pick and choose. And that's what God expects of us as well, right? He wants you to obey Him with a happy heart because you love Him, because you esteem Him. To obey God with a begrudging heart is worthless. To say you love God but not obey is meaningless. In action and attitude. We before our heavenly father and children before the earthly parents called to honor and obey. All right, so far it's pretty basic. It's pretty simple. You might be wondering, why, why am I starting here? What do these commands for children have to do with parenting? Well, this is actually the starting point for parenting. These verses describe how your children should relate to you according to God. So it is good and right for your children to honor and obey you. Even more so, it's good for them. God gave these commands for children in their best interest. Children, as you know, they start off rather helpless. They don't know how the world works. They can't sense the dangers of the world. Right now, our son Noah, he's at the stage of wandering into the kitchen and opening up every single cabinet door. Just to explore. He's one. Now, how long before he opens the doors under the kitchen sink and drinks what he finds there, which we have locked, but you know the drill. Now, he wouldn't know better, which is why he needs to be protected from that, even against his will. You know that's true physically, that's also true spiritually, of spiritual dangers. So, God has appointed parents to guide and guard their children, physically and spiritually. Yes, we want them to grow independent someday, and they will, whether you like it or not. I mean, they'll grow into adulthood. They'll be their own person. That's great. But when they're young, they need to be parented. So first, as parents, you must firmly believe that God's calling on your children is good and right, that they honor and obey you. And then you must establish these as clear expectations for your children. Honestly, ask yourself, do you expect your children to honor and obey you all the time? You should. And when they fail to honor and obey you, do you see that as a a problem that needs to be addressed? Or have you become so used to it that you just let it go? Because that's what every kid does anyway, and it's such a losing battle, just let it go. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean they will always honor and obey you. That's the parenting challenge to shepherd them through that. But this has to be your clear expectation. And you have to parent. God has given you his authority for this role. It's not to be abused, but it is to be used. God wants you to take an active shepherding role over your children. Why? Why? Because he loves them, and they need rule and authority in their lives, especially when they're lo- young and little, when dangers abound, and they, they, they're not fully thinking for themselves. They need you there. And grandparents, this is still all for you. Because like I said, when you're watching your grandkids, you are functioning as parents. So they need to honor and obey you when you are functioning as their parents. The trend today, from what I've observed in the parenting of the world Something I I call free-range parenting. A lot of parents are raising free-range kids. It's like, you know, like chickens. Everyone today wants to eat nothing but free-range chickens. Chickens that have, they're free to have just a nice life out of the pen, out in the field, and just eat to their heart's desire, do whatever they want, before we kill them and eat them. (laughs) Likewise, in parenting, more and more parents are taking a hands-off approach. They view their children as free spirits with a magical existence, and they don't want to put a damper on that. So they just let them do what they want, be who they are, let them express themselves. And the result though is no structure, no rule, no authority. The Problem though is that that's not good for the children. They do not have nearly enough knowledge or wisdom to rule their lives rightly yet. Rather, God has given you his authority to do this for them while they're still young and trusting Greater and greater rule over their lives as they get older. But if you let little ones run free from your rule, it's like letting a a newborn puppy off the leash in your front yard. They're going to run astray and often run into danger. Take, for example, bedtime. Our little Olivia, if, if we let her, she would stay up forever. She has so much energy, she would never go to bed. But we have to enforce a proper bedtime, it's for her own good. She may not understand it, but we know it, it's for her good and she needs to she needs to do this until she's old enough to make that decision as an adult, fully grasping the consequences of not sleeping. Same goes with diet. I mean, do you think it's a good idea to let children choose their own diet, especially when they're really young? I mean, do they have the knowledge and the wisdom to make right choices yet? No. I mean, this is a no-brainer. Ever since the invention of candy, any kid would choose for him or herself the most rotten diet ever if they were allowed. But look, they don't know better. As adults, you are free to make such choices because you can weigh the consequences of your choices. And at least, well, you know better. The children don't have that option, so we must make wise choices for them. This is why God wants them to honor and obey you. And of course, you see the effects Of such hands off parenting. In the end, you become the child and they become the parent. You end up obeying them and these free range children end up functionally ruling the roost. Mother says, Here, dear, I made this wonderful meal for you. It's healthy, it's good, it's nutritious. And the child says, You know, I don't want that. I want chips or something like that. (laughs) A brief yet fierce struggle of wills ensues, but the mother usually just gives in. It's easier and gives them what they want. Or maybe you have guests coming over, so dad tells the little one, hey, clean up your toys and the mess you made. And he or she says, you know, I I don't want to do that. I'm just going to keep playing. Or, Or they just say no. So dad ends up cleaning because it's faster, it's easier that way. In the end, though, realize they have dishonored you and you have obeyed them. This has been a functional role reversal where now you're the child in this relationship. I trust you can see this is wrong. You can put a stop to it. Now, I'm not saying this to guilt all the parents in the room, because if that were the case, we would be guilty as charged. Where do you think I'm getting some of these examples? (laughs) We all have our moments of weakness where we feel tired and depleted and we fall short. But let this serve as, as a reminder. That's the goal here, a reminder for all of us. If you've gone off track, you can get back on track. Parents, grandparents, child care workers for your children. Uh, rather, you need to establish the expectations for your children. and Already that guides so much of our parenting task. just knowing what God wants for them. That already tells us what he wants us to do. Be the parent, not the child. Be the parent. And know that God has called them to honor and obey you God has given you the authority to lead. Now, I know some of you might say, okay, that that sounds great. That sounds ideal. But you don't know my kids. They just don't respect. They don't respond to authority. They're just not obedient. They don't do well with structure. So what am I supposed to do? But I encourage you not to give in to that excuse which comes from the world. Because listen, there's not a single child on the planet that inherently responds well to rule and authority. I mean, what what does the Bible say about all people, including our children, that they're born sinners with hearts given over to sin and rebellion? That's why you never have to teach them to rebel and disobey. It comes natural. And that's why God had to command them to honor and obey, because it does not come natural. But if you try and make yourself or your kids some exception, You're really only going to end up thwarting God's will for them and God's will for you. It's just not helpful. Now, it's true. Some children can be more challenging than others. But that actually doesn't change your task as parents. God has some commands for you as well, and these are not conditional or optional. So now let's get more directly into the role of parents. In particular, let me remind you of the three main commands God has given to parents. Three main commands of biblical parenting. These describe the three roles, the three primary roles God has commanded you parents to fulfill. It's simple. And you find them all in verse 4. He's still in Ephesians 6. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Once again, God keeps it rather simple and straightforward for parents. You might think of parenting as being terribly complicated and complex and burdensome and intimidating, but in God's eyes, it's it's pretty simple. Just be faithful to do these three things, and God is pleased. You can't control the outcome, the results. That's not the game here. It's just be faithful to do what God has called you to do, and he's pleased. So let's talk about these three essential commands for parenting. Number one, give instruction. Number one, give instruction. Verse four says, Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Word, it means teaching, admonition, guidance. To be clear, yes, this role is primarily directed at the fathers. Fathers, as leaders of their family, must take on the chief role of instructing their family in God's will and God's ways. But it's equally clear this does not exclude mothers from instructing their kids as well. In Proverbs, for example, this basic command to instruct your children, it it occurs all over the place. 26 times it's used of fathers, 14 times it's used of mothers, and 13 times it's used of both parents together. So it's clear, this is a a tag team effort for parents. uh, Proverbs 6.20 says, My son, observe the commandment of your father... And do not forsake the teaching of your mother. So both parents are called to instruct their children. Okay, and what? What is the content? What what do we teach? Well, yeah, you need to teach them to read and to write and things like that. But primarily, this has in view instructing them in the way of the Lord, teaching them God's ways, God's word, God's will. We find that reflected in the most important verse for Israel. Back in the Old Testament, this was their top verse, their defining verse, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7, which I'll read for you. Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. And he says, Then you shall teach them diligently to your sons, You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, when you rise up. And you see the pattern here. This has always been God's prerogative for parents. First, you individually need to know and love God in your own heart. You need to personally internalize God's word and write it on your own heart. Then it's just a matter of letting that spill out when you're with your kids. It's that simple. You are passing on to them your love, your passion for your God. You're not just teaching them about the God of the Bible. You're teaching them about your God. Along these lines, pass on to them the knowledge of God, his word, his works, his character, his attributes. Tell them of God's son, Jesus, who he is, what he did, his death on the cross, his resurrection. Speak of sin and salvation. Minister the gospel to them. They must eventually believe on their own, but plant the seeds of the gospel in their heart that they might confess Christ as their own Lord someday. That's their only hope, like with all people. They, like all of us, are born with this deadly heart condition of sin and it ruins this life and the next. But God, through the gospel, can change a person's desires and direction and destination in life. So this must be the primary business we as parents are about in our instruction to ultimately minister the gospel to them. Otherwise, it's all for naught. It's not enough to simply moralize your kids, teach them to be good kids, you know, send them to etiquette classes so that they're polite. You have to minister the gospel. Of course, this presumes that you as a parent know a thing or two about God and the gospel. So. Challenge yourself. Let, let that stretch you and challenge you to, to take on a greater knowledge, to plant a greater knowledge of God and the gospel in your heart. Just take that challenge. Say, how can I get to know the Lord and the gospel and love him more in my heart first? Because you will only ever share to, share with them that the love that you have. They'll never rise above you in that regard when they're young. It has to be real in your own life and you must live it out. As we all know, nothing destroys a child's view of the faith more than the hypocrisy of their parents. If you teach them the way of God, but then live blatantly the way of the world without repentance, without any concern, why should they believe? What a waste of time. If they see you talk the talk, but you're, you're never really reading the Bible or praying or you don't put a, a view, high view of the church, you just, just live like the world. Why should they? That's what they're going to learn. Why should they do any different? But again, let yourself be challenged to to rise up, to plant the word in your heart, to live it out. And it's just a matter of that's going to spill over to your kids. Now, when it comes to actually teaching, I know many parents feel burdened because, like, look, who has the time to lead their kids in an hour-long Bible study every night? But listen, just as we read in Deuteronomy, God envisions you teaching your kids not as an event, but as a lifestyle. When you lie down, when you rise up, when you, when you walk out, when you're at home. Just, just everyday life. Look, it's good to do some formal Bible study. And you should try and have some daily devotional time with your kids. That's, that's really good. But, but look, use the school of life to instruct them God's ways. As they encounter difficulty in school, use them to teach a biblical response to affliction. If they fail a test or a sporting event, Use that to teach them, well, you know what matters most is acceptance before God, and you can share the gospel. Or when your kids are fighting and bickering, instead of seeing that as just a burden, see an opportunity to teach them the golden rule, to love one another, treat one another as they desire to be treated. See, teaching your kids should not be a chore, but a joy that stems from just living life together under God. I'm sure all Christian parents want their kids to grow up in wisdom and truth and knowledge of God. But where do you expect them to learn that? I mean, They're not going to get it in the public schools, that's for sure. And one hour a week here at church Sunday school, it's great, but it's not enough. Think of how much they're influenced by the world at school, watching TV, on the Internet. And how much are they getting that biblical worldview? It's on you, largely parents, to Raise them up first in the instruction of the Lord. This is your first chief role as parents, to give instruction. Number two, give discipline. Give discipline. Back in Ephesians 6.4, the command, raise up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Disciplining your children is a non-negotiable of biblical parenting. Now, there's no shortage of misunderstanding. When it comes to what biblical discipline is all about. First off, what does this word for discipline even mean? When most think of discipline, they only think of punishment. Your kids have wronged you, so you punish them. You get them back. You make them pay. That's not it at all. Discipline is punitive, but the mission behind it is not punishment. It's training. That's what the word actually means. Biblical discipline, it's actually another method of instructing your kids. The goal is to instruct them and to train them in the way of the Lord. Remember that verse, 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 3.16, that says Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. It is 2 Timothy, by the way. For training in righteousness. Same word. Training in righteousness. Already, that should frame how you discipline your children. You're trying to train them in righteousness. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You have to understand that biblically speaking, your children come to you as little sinners. Proverbs would call them little fools. Proverbs 22.15 says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Foolishness, it's already there. It's bound up in their heart. From birth, it's the fallen condition. They're foolish, they're prone to folly and error, and that's going to lead to ruin in life. But through discipline, you can drive out that foolishness. Through discipline, you're showing them that there are negative consequences to sin. That's a lesson that could literally save their life someday. Picture your child as a cup. The cup is full of foolishness. It's not good for them. So your, your task in discipline is to just slowly but surely drain that cup of its foolishness. It may take years, but that's the task. Now, keep in mind, it's not enough to simply be a disciplinarian. It is not enough to simply empty the cup of foolishness. But at the same time, you need to be then filling the cup with God's wisdom. And that's how your, your dual roles of discipline and instruction go together. You, you're you removing foolishness through discipline, but then you are instilling God's wisdom through instruction. Same time, all the time. That's how it's supposed to work. So these two roles for you are not either or. Like for kids, they must honor and obey. You must instruct and discipline. It is not an either or. Now the thing is, sometimes children are like ketchup bottles and the foolishness and their wickedness, it's hard to get out. So how do you get ketchup out of a stubborn glass ketchup bottle? Sometimes you turn it upside down and you give it a little spank. And sometimes kids need the same thing. Now, I know that this is very taboo and hated by the world, but God's word speaks of such physical discipline, clearly and often. Proverbs 13:24 24 says, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him, diligently. Proverbs 23, 23 verses 13 and 14 say, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from shield or hell. Proverbs speaks often of this rod. What is the rod? It's a very clear reference to some form of physical discipline. Spanking, for example, goes a long way in Pushing the foolishness out of your child. Now, I'm not going to try and ignite the whole spanking debate right now. I know the world has absolutely turned on this method of discipline, which has been used forever. I understand why they hate it so much, because you look at the spanking practices of the world, and it is kind of like child abuse. I mean, how those in the world spank, it's out of anger and wrath and vengeance to make them pay to get them back. That's terrible. I mean, that's dead wrong. Hopefully you understand that. So I understand actually why they have turned on physical discipline or or discipline at all. But at the very least, let me clarify the biblical picture of discipline, what God's word teaches. Look, as parents, you must discipline your kids. That's not optional. Whether you choose to employ spanking or not, that, that is up to you. That is your option. But if you choose to do so, Hopefully you understand that while the Bible endorses physical discipline, it does not endorse child abuse. Biblical spanking should never be done in anger. Do you get that? You should never discipline your child when you're angry, ever. If you're angry, then you just go cool off and you repent. But that's not a time to discipline. It should also never be done out of vengeance. You're not trying to make them pay for something. It should never injure the child, obviously. Spanking, for example, should only ever be done out of love, out of correction and part of a greater shepherding moment where you spend time instructing them and teaching them and showing them love. It should only be forceful enough to sting. And that's the whole point of discipline in general. The whole point in God's command is you're trying to associate their sin and rebellion with a sting so that they realize that's not good for me. I should probably knock that off. Again, it's not punishment, it's correction. You're trying to train them and help them avoid greater folly later in life. Because if they don't learn that lesson to avoid folly and rebellion later, it'll land them where? In jail, in injury, in death? That's the point. Children with their less developed minds, especially little ones, they don't have the the ability to reason logically through their choices and consequences, but they can fully grasp a little sting and they know that if every time they spit on the floor, they're going to feel a little sting, they're going to stop spitting on the floor pretty soon. And yes, they may test their parents' limits, but if you are diligent, like Proverbs says, you do this diligently, they will learn, and that foolishness will be removed pretty quick. And as they get older, they can more rationally grasp right and wrong. They can own up the consequences of, of their actions. And and at that time, that the role of Discipline goes away and they become their adults and they they'll just they'll suffer their own harm if they continue in foolishness. But especially when they're young, this is this is the job. Whatever method you choose, you must discipline your children when they show willful disobedience and you must be consistent. Refusal to do so, according to Scripture, Proverbs says that that's showing hatred to your child. Discipline rather is an expression of love. You love them, that you're going to sting them because you want them to avoid much greater harm. And isn't that what God does to us as his children now? Sometimes God, our Heavenly Father, he stings us when we sin that we might avoid greater ruin. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves... He reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. God disciplines us, and sometimes it hurts, because he loves us, and he wants us to avoid greater sin and rebellion, which will lead to greater ruin. It's what you might call a tough love, but it's God's love. It's a greater love. Now, I'm fully aware that this is one area where God's ways and the world's ways cannot be any further apart, but it's just, to me, it's a no-brainer. Look at the youth culture in the world right now. And are they getting more respectful, kind, and obedient little kids? Or are they getting more depraved, wicked, and rebellious? It's pretty obvious. And just look at the stunning numbers of little kids now. I'm talking like pre-teenagers being involved in sex, drugs, and crime. It's, it's crazy. And to me, it just shows the total Abject failure of the parenting of the world. Since they have abandoned an idea to be politically correct, they've abandoned all discipline. Forget spanking, It's, it's now just yes parenting. You never tell them no, you just let them go. They've abandoned all forms of discipline. So they're absolutely helpless to rein in bad behavior and foolishness. And I see it all the time. You do probably as well, you know, go to the market. The kids, are not listening. They don't respect their parents at all. They don't obey. Suddenly, the little one throws a four-alarm temper tantrum on aisle five, screaming, wanting this or that. The parents are helpless. The child is not listening or obeying at all. So just to get some peace and quiet, they resort to the bribery game. It all becomes just now bribery. Okay, look, just just stop crying. I'll give you this. I'll buy you this. If you want that balloon, I'll get you the balloon. Just, just stop crying. It's just now, and from then on, it's a, a game of bribery. But it's so ineffective, and it's bad for the kid because you are training them not to respect authority, but to respect bribery. And now they control you. Again, you're, you're the child now, and they're the parent. And in turn, that whole philosophy breeds a very deep-seated selfishness in the heart of the child, Look, they're already born with selfishness and self-centeredness, like all of us. But instead of fighting against that with the gospel, parents who do that, you're actually feeding into that selfishness. It's no wonder those kids grow up thinking the world exists to please them. But isn't this what Proverbs predicted would happen thousands of years ago? That if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And that's literally what we see happening today. But God's ways, they're not popular today, but they're still good. They're still true. They're still right. And it's what the word says. Some of you maybe have, if you have fallen into the world's ways of parenting, I, I don't blame you. We are so inundated with the this, this psychobabble in our culture, it's hard to escape. Like any parenting website, this is what they're going to teach today. But don't go to the websites. Turn to God's word. God created your kids. He knows how they tick. He's given you an instruction manual. It's pretty good. Read it. Listen to his word. God's ways really are better. True, disciplining your kids, it's not the easy route, but it is the loving route, and it has their best interests in mind. And if you're faithful with it, yes, there is a very large cost up front, but there is a great reward and payoff later on. Listen to Hebrews 12. It speaks of the discipline of an earthly father and God, our heavenly father, at the same time. Hebrews 12:11 says, Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that what you want from your kids when they're all just peaceful fruit? of righteousness. Well, you've got to train them with discipline. You know, it's very hard up front for the parent, for the child. This is not easy. It's simple. It's not easy. It's hard up front. But if you forsake this role to make your life a little bit easier in the short term, you will pay for it in the long term. It's just a sad reality that many have to live with. If you think they're having trouble honoring and obeying you when they're little, what do you think happens when they become the teenager? Proverbs 29:15 says, "The rod and the re- and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother." There's a better way, and it's it's God's way. The two verses later, Proverbs 29:17 says, "Correct your son, and he'll give you comfort. He will also delight your soul." So my encouragement again is just to rise up to the sacrificial role of parenting to put in the hard work and it's never too late to start. Seek the long-term blessing of training them in righteousness through discipline that they may yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, farming. It's hard work and there's nothing to show at first. The soil is tough. You have to till it, turn it over and you have to plant seeds in water over and over again. And there's nothing to show for it. It's backbreaking work. But if you put in all that work up front, Eventually, you'll you'll get the fruit. You'll get the harvest. And so raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Sacrifice all that time now, and God will bless that. These are your two primary tasks as parents. Give them instruction. Give them discipline. And to finish our time, we can add a third, a brief one, but nonetheless to be included. Number three, lastly, give grace. Give grace grace. Notice how Ephesians 6, 4 begins. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Likewise, Colossians 3:21 says, fathers, do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. As parents, you must do the hard work of discipline and instruction. But that's not a call for you to be a cold, harsh dictator. This doesn't mean you get to make your kids into your personal servants who obey your every bidding and and you're like the master and they're just the servant. And they only live to serve you. You're not trying to serve yourself through parenting, but them and the Lord. So you must shower them with love. Paul never commands parents to love their children because he doesn't have to. You're going to love your children. But fathers especially are prone to ruling their household with an iron fist. So they especially need a reminder to show grace, like show some grace. Your children will often fall short of your expectations and God's will. But don't forget, you too and me, we individually fall short of God's expectations and God's will for us all the time. And sometimes God disciplines us. Yes, we take it. But he always shows us grace and love and kindness in Christ. And so the lesson here is we'll do the same with your kids. In the end, that's your real goal to minister God's grace to your kids. So often our discipline functions like the law, and that's a good thing. It's an impossible standard. They will never be able to obey all of your rules all the time. They will always fall short. Just like we cannot perfectly obey God. Eventually they'll get exasperated by this impossible standard for obedience, but that, you may not know this, that presents you with the ultimate opportunity to minister the gospel, which is the answer to the law. You're right. You can't do it. You can't obey. Go ahead and tell them. But you know what? Mommy and daddy, we can't obey either. We can't perfectly obey God ourselves. And so we too deserve a punishment. That's all of us. We all fall short. We all miss the mark. And therefore, we deserve punishment. But God loved us, his children, so much that he showed us grace by giving us his own son, jesus to die in our place on the cross he took all of our sin all of our disobedience and he paid all that punishment that should have been ours to pay and by believing in him we can go free we can even be adopted into his family and become his sons and daughters so much more to that good news but isn't this where we're trying to lead our kids when they're little And when they're old, still, that work goes on. Maybe they they haven't believed, but you keep keep working. You keep working to minister the gospel to them because you never know. This is our prayer for them, that God will do a work in their hearts, changing them from the inside out. All we can do as parents is change them on the outside. Only the gospel can change them on the inside, give them new life in their hearts. So let all of our efforts end up there in ministering the gospel. And in reflection of that grace that we have received, be sure to show them grace as well. Because then in addition to reflecting a God who is holy and just, you are now also reflecting a God who is loving and kind and compassionate and long-suffering and gracious. And isn't that why we worship God? Because he was so loving and gracious with us. Despite our sin, he still loved us and accepted us. And so we do with our kids. Show that Them in your parenting. You give them instruction. You give them discipline. You season both with grace. And that's the picture of a faithful biblical parent. That's what it's about. Let me finish by saying this it's just about being faithful. You can't ultimately turn out, or you can't ultimately control how your kids turn out. You don't have that power. That's God's power. There are kids who come from very godly homes, yet they end up not believing. There are kids who come from very godless homes and they become believers like myself. God is sovereign. That's not your burden. Your burden is simply just be faithful to do what he calls you to do. You discipline, you instruct, you show grace. And God is pleased. You are a successful parent if you are faithful. And never too late to start that. Even as grandparents. You started now with your grown kids. You show them grace. You minister your grandkids when you have them around. You do it now. Just be the faithful farmer, till the soil of their hearts through discipline. It's hard, but till that soil through discipline, break up the hard soil, then plant seeds of the gospel and God's wisdom in their hearts, water them, love them with grace, just keep at it. It may never grow. That's that's God's job. It may never grow, but you just do your work as the farmer and entrust God to cause the growth. We pray for that. That's why we pray. You just be faithful to do what God calls you to do. And God, though, is a good God who loves his faithful children, and he blesses those who do his will. You just worry about being faithful. This world is going down. It's a mad world. It's only getting madder. But although we may not be able to stop it, we can still say, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So make that your resolution this morning. Just be encouraged. Be reinvigorated in your parenting or grandparenting task we as parents we all fall really fall short in many ways but god is gracious with us he gives us grace in our parenting task and he gives us the grace we need to press on to say well you know i mess up a lot but i'm gonna keep at it and keep trying and so be encouraged and recharged this morning in the most noble task of raising up your children in the way they should go let's pray Our father in heaven, we thank you for being our father in heaven. You are a great and gracious father to us. You've made us your children. Though we fall short, though we disobey you, we dishonor you. You still loved us so supremely that you sent your son to come and live and die for us, to take all of our punishment and sin away and to make us wholly yours and and truly your sons and daughters. What What a show of love and grace and Lord, that is the only hope for our children. That's our desire, our strong desire. We pray for the salvation of all the children at this church. That you bless parents with that greatest gift. It's your prerogative. We trust you for that. But help us now just to be faithful parents and grandparents and future parents and child workers. To minister the gospel to their little hearts. Train them to obey and honor their parents through discipline, through instruction, yes. But all the while, there's only one hope, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So may they see this, may we show them this with our words, with our lives, with our example. And may you bless us and them in this most great task to raise them up in the way they should go. Thank you for your grace. We need it, we rest in it, and we will continue to strive in it. For your your glory's sake, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.